I'm the middle child of three brothers, older brother, two years older, younger brother, about two years younger. And for us growing up, we had amazing times. Despite what some people say, I really enjoyed being the middle child. I had a great relationship with both of them most of the time. You know, the ages we were, it meant we had really precious times together growing up, but it also meant we had some hectic, hectic times of conflict. I remember times seeing, and it was mainly those, the other two uh, going at it. I remember times that I honestly thought they were going to kill each other. And times when, uh, when I did get involved, and it was particularly with my older brother, if I just pushed him a little bit too far, he would kind of get this like crazed look in his eye. And I just knew, oh man, this is going to hurt real bad. <laughs> and it would. But the thing is that once the bleeding stopped and the tears were cleared away and mum and dad had got involved and we found out what the offence was, we just went back to playing. We resolved it, everything was kind of okay within a matter of minutes and we'd go outside and kick a ball, we would be brothers again. There was forgiveness and there was no resentment. Now clearly my family uh, upbringing wasn't exactly perfect but we did always reconcile. I think if we expect conflict in biological families, I wonder if we should expect conflict perhaps more in spiritual families, in God's family. Because you might have known it already, you might have heard it already, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in God's family. You're his child, and that makes every other believer your brother or your sister. Because Jesus didn't identify those closest to him by biology, but by obedience. He said this to some people who were sitting around him, who are my mothers and my brothers? He said to those seated in a circle around him, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. We are God's family. We are God's family. We're part of God's household. And I'm sure you've been in many different households. I have in my life from different jobs that I've had. I've had to go into many different places. And some houses I go into, it's hectic. It's chaotic. It's unpleasant. And I wonder, whose house is this? Who's in charge here? And so I wonder if sometimes, perhaps often, the world looks on at the church and sees the way that we aren't getting along. Sees the way the church is squabbling, divided, Christians gossiping about each other, being unkind to each other. I wonder if people think, whose house is that? Who's in authority there? Because from what I've observed, I think it's pretty rare to see two believers have a serious conflict and then, like children, be able to resolve it and go back and play together again. I think more often than not, what I've observed is when there's a conflict between Christians that they tend to avoid each other they tend to sweep it under the rug or a wall goes up and the relationship is just never the same again. But God has more than that for us, more than that for us. How does God want his children, his household to engage in conflict? Well, today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at preventing conflict, engaging in conflict and resolving conflict. And our take home point today is this. Conflict starts with me. Conflict starts with me. Or as someone once said it, I'm starting with the man in the mirror and I'm asking him to change his ways. Thank you. I am hoping that everyone repeated that. Our teaching text today is Colossians uh, 3. So you'd like to turn there, otherwise the words will be on the screen. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Therefore, whenever you read scripture, you see therefore, you wonder what's there, that's therefore, you go back to the context. In this situation, in his letter to the Colossians, Paul has just been telling them that they are new creations. He's been telling them, you have been raised with Christ. He's saying that you need to put to death the old way of life. He says, put on your new self. He's talking about identity. He's saying that you are God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved. Do we understand how our sense of identity or lack of it impacts how we relate to other people, how we live our day-to-day lives? Paul also been talking about saying that there are no distinctions. He says there are no distinctions. He says every Christian around you has the same identity, loved child of God. And so you no longer identify primarily as Pakiha, as Filipino, as a tradie, as a government worker, as someone who is wealthy or as someone who is poor. No, you identify as child of God because he said Christ is all and is in all. Sin wants to make distinctives between us. Sin wants to highlight what is different and to separate us. God wants to highlight what unites us, what makes us family, what knits us together, and it's Jesus. In Philippians 4, Paul is closing his letter, and he has this fascinating little uh, bit that he says, and he just says quickly, he said, I appeal to Euodia and Syntyche, two women. He says, I appeal to you, two women, sort out your disagreement because you belong to the Lord. He says, because you love the Lord, sort it out, figure it out. You can get along. Whatever the disagreement is, just sort it because you both love Jesus. He doesn't give any other context. He says, you both love Jesus, sort it out. This is who you are. Don't forget your identity. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget you are children of God. You love the same Jesus, surely, surely you can get along. And it's out of this identity, this this imploring, remember who you are, that Paul then gives us a command. And he says, clothe yourselves. He says, because of your identity, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the thing about these virtues is they are impossible to be without being in relationship with other people. A man standing in the field by himself can't be said to be compassionate. Compassion only comes in a life-on-life situation. There is nothing there, maybe except patience. A man standing in a field by himself could be patient, but he can't be said to be any of those other things. Paul is saying in your interactions with each other, this, this is how I want you to clothe yourselves. Conflict starts with me. Conflict starts with how I choose to clothe myself. And I think about the times where I've engaged in conflict poorly. It's when I've put on the wrong thing. Instead of clothing myself with compassion, I've been clothed with selfishness. And I haven't had the ability to see or consider, oh man, what's going on in that other, and what's going on in that other person's life that has made them react like this, that has made them say this or do that. I wonder what's going on for them to make them behave like that. 
Instead of kindness, I've worn harshness. Instead of gentleness, I've been combative. And instead of humility, and this is the driver beneath it all, I've been proud. And pride is, is always at the root of any conflict between people because pride is either offended or it needs to be defended. Pride often assumes other people's motives are worse than they are. We think the worst of what other people have done. Well, they said that because of this. Pride makes us hypersensitive. And so simple corrections to an idea or some feedback on your work or something you did, we don't take as correction, we take as rejection. And pride makes us think that a challenge to our idea or something that we've done is a challenge against our very selves. But when we're humble, when we live out of that deep sense of, I'm a child of God, it's all that matters, it's who I am knowing our identity, then we are able to put on these wonderful virtues and then do what Paul says next, what God wants us to do next, and that is bear with each other. Bear with each other. This literally means to put up with each other, to endure. And I just love, this is one of those parts of Scripture where I just love how just honest and refreshing and kind of just blatant that it is. Yes, the Bible says, put up with people. There are people in your life, in my life, heck, I might be one of them for you, who you are going to have to, for the rest of your lives, endure. You're going to have to put up with. There are people sitting around you right now who you are going to have to endure. There are people you are going to be worshipping around the throne of heaven with one day who annoy you right now, who frustrate you right now. And God says, I want you to bear with them. I want you to be patient with them for the sake of the kingdom. And you read that and you must think, how countercultural is that? How countercultural is bear with them in the face of cancel culture, in the face of a world that says if someone disagrees with you, if someone offends you, if someone has an ideology you don't agree with or that you find particularly repulsive, don't bear with them, cancel them. Don't be long-suffering. Write them off. Forget about them. You don't need time. You don't have time for that. Just your life will be easier with that person out of the way. You don't have to engage with their ideas. You don't have to put up with their nonsense. Just cut them out of your life. And I think that has seeped too much into the church. I think that has seeped far too much into our Christian relationships. Conflict starts with me. And a practical way of doing this, I think, is to be slow to take offense. A verse that has been particularly dear to me is Proverbs 19.11. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Some of us are offense magnets. Offense magnets, and I wonder if it's because you, you have a proud heart, uh, maybe a hard heart, but your skin is paper thin. And so every little thing is offensive to you. The way people say things, the way people don't do things, the look, the they didn't text me back, the everything is just offense, offense, offense. And you just need to pause and actually sit back and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I feel this way too often. I feel this offense way too often. 
Is this, is this real? Are they really being offensive to me or is this my ego rearing its head? You might need to take that to the Lord. If you're someone who is offended a lot of the time, say this gently, that probably says more about where you're at than where other people are at and you want to take that to the Lord. Conflict starts with us. Sometimes conflict is inevitable, and so we need to learn how to engage in conflict. As Christians, we're going to mess up. We're going to hurt one another, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But we need to be prepared to engage with people and find a way to fix it. And Scripture gives us a principle, and Scripture gives us a process. Let's go to the principle, Matthew 7, 3-5. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Conflict starts with me. What's in my eye? I did a quick Google search because I was like, I wonder, I wonder what will come up. And I, I look at this photo and I just think that is just... It shows the ridiculousness of what we do. Here, let me, let me help you with that. Take that speck out of your eye, says the guy, with a log sticking out of his own. And this is, it's funny. I think Jesus is being funny here because it's ridiculous. But oh, how often do we do it? It is the easiest thing in the world to see the problem with someone else. I do it all the time in my own marriage. It is so easy to see the problem with someone else. Something I've had to work on is, is um, times when I get angry that Gabriel is upset and I get so worked up that, that, she can't, that she in that moment isn't able to rein in her emotion. And I get so angry of, oh, you, this happens all the time. Women, you're, you're so emotional, you know? And it's, well, wait a minute. Who, who's not in control of his emotions here? So easy to see where my wife goes wrong. I've got a plank in my own eye that I've had to take out numerous times. And our friendships are so simple to see that this whole situation is their fault. If she didn't say this, I wouldn't have reacted like that. If he didn't do that, I wouldn't have done that. Jesus says no. It is not so simple to see the, the speck of dust in someone else's eye until you have owned your own stuff first. We don't get to nitpick at the speck in someone else's eye until we have paused, until we have identified, accepted, and repented of the plank in our own eye. And he says a plank because we should be more horrified at our own sin than other people's sin. We should see our own failings first before we look to other people's. Romans 12:18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. What depends on you? You might have heard of the two circles before. In any interpersonal conflict, there's your stuff and there's their stuff. What's my stuff? I can only control what is in this circle in a, in a disagreement with someone. My stuff are my words. I am responsible for my words in a conflict situation. I'm not responsible for my actions, my reactions, my thoughts, my feelings. 
I am responsible for my feelings and my habits. But in a conflict situation, what are they responsible for? If, if I have to own that, what do they have to own? Same thing. I am not responsible for how that person reacts. They are not responsible for how I react. We have to own our own circle. A while ago, I had given someone some, some fairly blunt, direct feedback on how they had uh, led a, a particular Sunday service, and they didn't, they didn't appreciate it. Didn't go down too well, and they said, Jeremiah, I really need to meet with you. I'm, I'm pretty upset. I had a chat with Simon, and uh, I showed him the email from the person, and Simon said, Jerem, even if you feel like you only have to own 5% of this, of this disagreement, you need to 100% own that 5%. It's really helpful for me. I went into the situation prepared to own whatever I needed to, and this person was really kind, and they just said, look, I feel like you gave me too many things to work on. You, 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 were, you gave me too much feedback on things I hadn't done that well. And, and what I really would have appreciated was if you had actually just come and had that conversation with me in person rather than, rather than emailing me during the week. I went into that conversation prepared to own 5%. I ended up owning a lot more. But the thing was, it didn't bother me. I didn't go in there with a shield, with a reputation to defend, with, with anything to defend, because I'd gone in there prepared to own my stuff. And it meant when I needed to own a lot more, it was fine. I wasn't going in there with ego. I was going in there with, man, I just, I need to be prepared to own my stuff. And they owned their stuff. As we, once we have paused, once we have removed that plank, then we are prepared to go and address our purse, our other, the other person's speck in the eye. We've looked at the principle, let's look at the process. And for this, we're going to go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Step one, when it comes to engaging with someone about conflict, is to go. To go. Jesus, Jesus said, if someone sins against you, go. Don't, don't avoid. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't think, ah, uh, it's, I'd, I'd like to address it, but, but I, just, I just don't want that situation. Sacrificing truth on the altar of peace because you don't want to engage with conflict isn't being like Jesus. Okay, it means you have an allergic reaction to conflict. That's something that God wants you to, to deal with. He doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't want you to be with way. And, and I'd encourage you to seek out some help and, and find out, ah, oh, why do I have such an allergic reaction to conflict? Now we go, we go one-to-one. If Jamie upsets me, which he does all the time, no, I'm kidding. If Jamie upsets me, I'm not going to the rest of my colleagues. I'm not going to my friends and saying, you know what Jamie said to me? Can you believe that he treated me like that? Oh, I just, oh, Jamie this, Jamie that. I don't go to other people. Jesus says, go to them one-on-one. Address it one-on-one. Because the thing is, if I address it one-on-one and we sort it out, no one else needs to know. I've won them over, we've reconciled, and no one else needs to know. 
and how I go to Jamie is important. I don't go to Jamie and say, Jamie, I'm doing Matthew 18. You said this to me and that's mean and I really don't like it. Proverbs says in, uh, sorry, Proverbs 18, 17 says, the first person to speak seems right until they're cross-examined. So you want to go and seek to understand before you want to be understood. And so it's helpful to go and for me to say, hey, Jamie, hey, you, you said something to me the other day that, that I found quite hurtful, but would you help me understand where you were coming from and, and what you were trying to communicate? That would help me understand, um, you know, why I'm feeling like this. Seek first to understand before you are understood. And again, if we can resolve it, awesome. But if not, there's a second step. Take someone else along, Jesus says. If Jamie won't listen, I'm going to get a friend. I'm going to get uh, my life group leader. I'm going to take a trusted Christian along and say, look, look, I'm trying to resolve this conflict with Jamie. I went to him. He didn't listen. Would you please come with me and help us try and resolve this? And we both go and see Jamie. And this person as a third party could be really helpful for me to see some parts that I still might need to own. And again, if we win Jamie over, great. Only three people need to know about it. And if that doesn't work, then we go to the church and uh, go to, you go, come to me, you come to Simon, Jenny, Tom, to the elders, and a larger church process kicks in. Such a helpful blueprint for resolving conflict, conflict because it prevents division. It prevents the conflict from seeping into other relationships. That's how churches are divided. That's how people jump into a quarrel that is not their own. And Proverbs 26, 17 says, like someone who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. If someone comes to you with a complaint against someone else, you need to be very, very careful to listen carefully, but to empower them and say, hey, have you gone through a Matthew 18 process? Look, I'm, I'm not going to be someone for you to dump on. I'm not, I'm not going to take sides here. I want to empower you. I really want to encourage you. Go and see them one-on-one. -on -one. And if you can't do that, then come back, and then maybe I can help you. As soon as people try and jump in, they might have a rescue mentality, and they might try and fix the situation for you, or they might take on your offense. And, and even though the original offense wasn't done against them, you've got factions. And scripture says that's about as clever as grabbing a stray dog by the ears. Don't jump into a quarrel that isn't yours. Lastly, we've got to seek reconciliation. How to prevent conflict, how to engage in conflict, and finally how to resolve conflict. Paul writes in Colossians 3, he says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The Apostle Peter once asked Jesus, he said, God, Jesus, how, much, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. In other words, there is no limit to how much and how often we should forgive other people. Why? Because Jesus set the benchmark. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, this is how we ought to pray. He said, God, forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us. Another way of saying that is, God, I want you to forgive me to the extent that I forgive other people. How does that sound? Do you want God to forgive you the same amount that you forgive other people? I don't. I want him to forgive me much, much more than that. 
means I want to forgive everything because I want to be forgiven for everything. This is the standard. And there is no wiggle room here. Why did God forgive us? How, could he, how did he forgive to that extent? The answer is love. Paul finishes our section by saying, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The call is love, to love one another as brothers and sisters, to endure with each other, to put up with each other, to be like Jesus. Jenny said last week that Jesus washed even Peter and Judas's feet. He knew what they were about to do, and yet he did it anyway. And you might be listening to this, listening to, this to say and say, Jerem, but that person hurt me so bad, and they're not even sorry about it. Yep. But Jesus died to forgive them for that sin. He died to forgive them for that sin. And do you know how much your sin offends God and yet he forgave you anyway? But what if they do it again? What if they don't learn their lesson? Forgiving doesn't necessarily mean trusting. Forgiveness is an act that you give. Trust needs to be earned back. Just because you forgive someone doesn't necessarily mean you have to start trusting them again but we must forgive. Take a look around at the people sitting around you right now. Chances are there are people near you who are going to let you down, who are going to hurt you, who are going to cause offense at some point. But can we as a church resolve to be a church that loves one another, that bears with one another, and when things go wrong, to follow the Matthew 18 principle to resolve it, to reconcile and to forgive because we know that Jesus isn't finished with us yet. He began a good work in us and he will be faithful to see it through to completion. We should expect to bump into each other because we're not the final product yet. Conflict starts with me. That's true for whatever conflict I'm in right now, what conflict may come in the future, and it absolutely applies to conflict in the past. And as I just come into close, I want to finish with, with this. You know, COVID showed that we weren't as united as we thought we were. That time, it feels like a long time ago, but it showed the worst of our nation and it brought out the worst in, in the church, globally, locally. And, and as a shepherd of this church, I just want to say that I know for some of you, you let yourselves down during that time. You said things. You did things. You held your position so tightly, dare I say self-righteously, that you couldn't fathom that someone else would think differently, would come up with a different decision, that the church would make decisions that you don't agree with, and you didn't behave very well. You caused division in your homes, maybe in your life groups, in your relationships. And you might have thought that time has healed that. You might look back and you think like, ugh, yeah, <laughs> wasn't great. But you know, we're all together now and you know, church is fine. We are together now and the church is, is going great, but it's not resolved. 
you have swept something under the rug and you haven't done proper reconciliation. And today is an opportunity to do that. It might be how you behave during COVID. It might be something that you did a long time ago. It might be just things the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind now about relationships that aren't right, that you need to make right. There are people who you are friendly with. There are people who you smile at on a Sunday. But every time you see them, there's just a little check in your spirit. There's just a little pain moment when you remember what they did, what they said, or what you didn't say and you never made it right. Today is an opportunity for all of us to hit reset. The beautiful thing about doing a message like this is that it's kind of an open play. You can take out your phone right now and send a message to someone and say, hey, look, I've just heard a message on conflict and, and we need to meet up. The, this, the other person might not even know that, that you're upset at them or were upset at them. Just send a text and say, hey, can we catch up? It's been a while. May this be an opportunity for a, a sweep of, of Holy Spirit reconciliation and humility and repentance and forgiveness to blow through our church, to, to blow out those cobwebs of division and resentment and bitterness and factions and division and just bring a Holy Spirit unity to our church again. Go to war on the pride in your heart. Go to war on that sense that says, I'm not going to say sorry until she says sorry. I'm not going to do something until he does something. Would you look to Jesus? He went to the cross to bring about the greatest reconciliation possible, our relationship restored to God. If he can forgive, you can forgive, I can forgive, and we must and we must, the world is watching. Would the world see a church that is dedicated sacrificially to love one another, to endure with each other, and to forgive even when, especially when it hurts? Oh Lord God, I just, I ask now for your sweet Holy Spirit to come and just minister. Lord, where there is division, and pain, and resentment, and bitterness. God, would you just blow through. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, bring conviction. Would today be a day of restored, renewed, revitalized relationships for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.